As we look at um, our spiritual postures, we're going through the, the Beatitudes. Um, I'm going to continue uh, all the way through those. And, and we're looking at the, the position that we take uh, in spirituality. What, what does that mean? Um, and there is a truth in English that is also true in Greek, and that's not always the case. Sometimes we force a language 2,000 years old and a different culture to operate uh, by the, um, the same rules as ours does, and we've been talking about that in class this morning, that does not always work. Uh, and sometimes we force it to, to uh, it's like forcing a, a square peg in a round hole, like they say, and, and it doesn't always work. And when we do this, we can insinuate things that are not true. Uh, and that is the case of our, our text today. Uh, uh, or excuse me, in the case of, of our text today, our language fortunately does mirror theirs. And, and, and we're going to learn some important lessons about our, our spiritual posture. And so I want to uh, turn, um, you, can, you can follow along up here. If you can't read that, then you can uh, follow in your Bible. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Uh, we're going to be talking about mourning this morning. Uh, and it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, and Jesus is interesting when he states this. He does not offer any qualifications for this statement. Uh, and and what we, if you go back to last week, we talked about the the word blessed, and that, that's important here uh, because we talked about how how it has different aspects. And one of the it's often translated, and depending on your translation, it might say happy are those who. Uh, if you have that version, it, it, this would come across strange to, to hear this statement, to hear Jesus say, happy are those who are sad. And that, that's the way that that would sound to us, um, uh, if, if, if that was the, the correct way to translate, translate that. But there are other definitions for the word uh, blessed, and it doesn't always mean happy. Sometimes it refers to the process uh, that gets you to happiness. In other words, uh, receiving a favor or a benefit uh, of, of some sort. And that, of course, often obviously produces happiness. You get, you get a gift or get something nice. Uh, I'm happy. But what he's saying, you are fortunate, you are favored uh, for, for this posture of mourning. And we're going to look at exactly why. Uh, but it is necessary to draw this distinction between words. He is not talking about the state of the individual, but he's talking about those who are going to go through this process of mourning. And so um, uh, after the um, parade event last year, um, Bruce and Marie and I, and, and there was actually several others who started the training to go, uh, and we, we work with Healing Hearts. I'm not sure if you know who Healing Hearts is. We had an event even here at the church building. Uh, but it's, it's, um, it's not grief therapy or grief counseling. We're not counselors or therapists. We're not trained in that. But we are what we call facilitators. Uh, and, and that is, it's a support group. But in that, you, you learn some things from people who are therapists and they are counselors and some, some things that are, are really interesting and some of those I'll share because they fit here. Uh, that's not what my lesson isn't about healing hearts, but 
but there are just some things that I learned that that made this text and other texts that we're going to go through a little bit more eye-opening uh, about the, the process of what we call mourning. Uh, so I want to first begin by something I, I learned, that grief and mourning are not the same thing. I've always thought of them, really, or treated them, whether I thought of it in my, my brain or just kind of subconsciously treated them as synonyms. I don't know if anyone has ever done that. Uh, but but to, to, um, to, to have grief and to mourn are two different things. Grief is what you feel in response to some form of tragedy or trauma, great or small. Right? It could be a small grief. It can be a... Um, it can be a very, very significant thing. But it's that emotional response. Mourning is the process that you go through when you experience this. Uh, it's the process by which you're going to work through whatever the grief is, big or small. And, you know, it, it can be a, a small grief. You know, you, you, uh, a kid goes through grief and, oh, we didn't, we didn't get to go do this, so we, we were going to go up to the Dells, and it was all rainy, and, and the weather didn't work out, and we had friends that we were going to see on the way up, so we didn't get to go to the water park. So there's a momentary grief. That's small. You work through the process, and it takes about like 20 minutes, and then you're on to the next thing. But, but big things take a lot longer, don't they? But it's all a process of mourning. So um, I want to look at this uh, text and you're going to wonder perhaps why we're looking at this text, but it brings out some things I want to as we, as we still set up kind of our introduction for this, this lesson. He says, the word of the Lord came to me. Now this is Ezekiel speaking. And, uh, and he's, he's repeating a message he's gotten from God. He says, son of man, behold, I'm about to take away the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke. You will not mourn. You will not weep. You will not... Let your tears run down. You can sigh, but not aloud. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban and put on your shoes on your feet. Don't cover your lips. Don't eat the bread of men. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and at evening my wife died. And the next morning I did as I was commanded. And, and I don't know if you've ever read this text or heard it read, but does that not seem harsh for God to say that? Uh, I, I, this is one of those texts, and, and, and I just like, okay, <laughs> it's there. Uh, it's really hard for me to reconcile. Uh, so let me explain a little bit of, of what God is saying, and, and there are some things in here that are that do bring out, uh, I think, something that I want to to get to about the process of mourning and grief. Um, that is that. Um, for the purposes of prophecy, God says your wife represents Israel. I, I want people to understand how serious some, what is going on in Israel is happening. Uh, he's like, I'm going to take, I'm going to take your wife away. She's going to represent Israel. Israel's going away. I'm going to stand by and let my bride, my 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 people suffer. And I'm going to do nothing to stop it. That's how bad what is the condition is. After 70 years, of course, I'm going to bring her back. But he says, I, I don't want you to weep. Because he says, I'm not, I'm not weeping. 
I'm not showing any open affection. Now, I want you to look at this. He says, sigh, but not aloud. In other words, he does not tell Ezekiel that he cannot feel grief. That's impossible. That's an impossible task. He says, you, you can't do any public mourning. And that's important to me. They are two different. See, unlike them, we don't necessarily understand this, but the, the period of mourning was very sacred. It was very valued. They, there was a part of their culture to work through. They had things that were common public expressions. We don't do that. And that's kind of a part of this lesson that I want to uh, set up. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll circle back around to that in just a second. But he says, don't, I don't want you to do any public fasting. I don't want you to do all of the things that illustrate your grief. Now, I expect at some point, when the purpose for the prophecy was no longer valid, he was allowed to, 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 make a, to, to go through some type of grieving uh, or mourning process. But for the sake of prophecy... He wanted to illustrate something, that, that we don't grieve sin and, and the, the punishment for sin. And that was not, not that his wife was sinful, but she was just the prophetic illustration of this. But the, the, the interesting thing in this text, for, for our purposes, is that, that there was a, a difference between the grief and the expression of the grief, which is the, the mourning. So as we as we as we move forward in this uh, this lesson, I want to look at our position towards grief and mourning from our perspective today, right? because it's different than it was then. There's a different, completely different culture. Uh, and in Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse two through four, again, this is going to be a foreign concept, uh, and it illustrates where we are as a people as opposed to where they are or were as a people. It says it is better to go to the house of mourning. Then to the house of the of feasting, for this is the evil, or this is the end of all mankind. Let me get my glasses on here. And the living will lay it to heart. Somehow it is better. Uh, sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness of face and the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. And. I guess even back then there was apparently people that have a, a similar viewpoint uh, that they that we we lie about things to ourselves. We say we have all sorts of phrases that are like this. We we all want to go back to the way it was, don't we? Don't you you experience a. a, a, a Great or small, you experience some some trauma, some tragedy, something negative, and and you you feel the grief. The grief is that something has changed. That's what we grieve. Something is different. It can be a relationship, right? People a divorce or something like that. The relationships change. They're not what they were. It can be uh, a death, obviously. Uh, it can be all sorts of things. It can be a, a, a loss of a sense of security or safety. That That is lost, and I grieve that thing. And, and I'm in this period where I'm, I'm like, I don't know how to respond. And I just want to go back to the way it was. And this is the great lie. 
And, and so, so much of our time is spent trying to recapture the feeling of normalcy that was. And we hate the phrase, and I despise the phrase, the new normal, but this is the reality. That's the only thing that there can be. Is a new normal. That is what the process of mourning is for, to create the person that I will be from then on. I'm a, I'm a, a mixture of all these things that happened to me, and I'm a, a mixture of my responses to those things. So, you have good things happen. Of course, when good things happen to us, we accept those as a part of life, and, and we like like that change that it brings. But then we, we tell ourselves this lie that, that we can somehow deny the negative things that have ever happened to us, and we can go back and be the person I was, exactly as I was the day before that thing happened. You can't. It happened. So we, we, we spend all of our time saying these things. But Solomon describes then how our position affects our behavior. And we do a thing called avoidance. And this looks different for different people. So apparently even then, even with a culture that appreciated mourning, there was still oftentimes this tendency to, to go to what we call the house of mirth. And, and we do this today, only today I think we even less appreciate mourning. Because all of these phrases we have in our culture express a desire to avoid we uh, try to solve problems that we have, these negative emotions, by doing things that make us happy. And, and to us, it's logical. Right now, I don't feel happy. Right? I don't want to feel unhappy. And so, these are the things that make me happy. I will do those things, and I will feel like normal again. That's the great lie. Because they're only temporary, and then the old feeling happens. See, my body and my brain are designed by God to go through and work this process of mourning to get to where I want. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stop this natural process. And so, I'm just avoiding. Um... So we, we do an emotion, so that's the first, really, the first type is called emotional blocking. It's where I try to immerse myself into the positive. I overwhelm myself with positive things or whatever makes me happy. If the eating makes me happy, and I do a lot of that. We... We, whatever the activity is that we associate with enjoyment, we'll do and obsess and do it to excess. Because those are only temporary things, and I'm, I'm, only, I'm temporarily cultivating that happiness that I had. But it's only temporary. And so any of these obsessions will be negative in the long run. They'll be progressive, 
And you'll see what ends up as a result. So that's emotional blocking. The other, uh, and, and that's more what Ecclesiastes depicts here. And the other is, is what we call mental blocking, which is not anything to do with writing. Um, but it would be, it might be similar, but it is, it's things that specifically prevent my mind from going through this process. So substance abuse, for example. Right? If, if, uh, if I get these negative feelings and, and I turn to alcohol, say, because what, that dulls my senses and I don't think about it, or sleep. Uh, and we get into a depression and, and we do these things that I don't allow my brain to work through this process. That's mental blocking. And you can see the negative things that come from that. So, so they're all different types of avoidance. Solomon says it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of mirth. It's better to work through the problem than it is to avoid the problem. All right? And you see what I did there? Notice it. What's the problem? I identified mourning as the problem, didn't I? Because I'm so naturally, it's such a natural part of me to associate grief and mourning as negative. We don't even realize we're speaking it. It's a part, the problem (coughs) is not the process. The problem is not the emotion. Those are given to me by God. But we are so naturally inclined to interpret these as negative things, and that's why we avoid them. Because I'm seeing these as the problem. So I want to look then at, the, in this, a common element between what Jesus says and what, what, um, what Solomon says, and, and even in both sides, both the negative application of how we deal with grief and the positive, there, there's a common element here uh, to, to both of these, and that is people. Uh, look at some of these. He says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, or the house of mirth, later on in the same text. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And both of these, both of these texts, both Solomon and Jesus, imply a group of people I don't like to go to the movies alone. I don't like to do. I don't like to go out to eat alone. Who likes to go out to a nice restaurant by yourself? That's pointless. Why would I do that? I would way, way rather be with people and enjoy conversation. I, I'm going to spend fifteen, twenty dollars on a plate and just okay. I'm going to eat my thing and go. No. At twenty dollars, I can I'm in and out in in seven minutes. You know, that was a waste of twenty. I can go I can go grill a burger and, and, and do that at my house. Get the same, but what I, I can't get that same feedback, that same enjoyment of of being together with people. That's completely different. It's completely different. The house of feasting, the house of mirth. We want to we want to do that with people. It implies people, but the house of mourning implies people as well. Blessed are those who mourn, 
for they shall be comforted. Well, by who? It implies people. So, I want to look then, as we look at the interpersonal aspects of of grief and mourning, my posture towards other people's grief. Because how I view grief and how I view mourning is going to affect this whole relationship. What is my viewpoint as a natural American in 2022? Grief is a problem. Mourning is a problem. That's, that's how I view it, just naturally. And, and that's my posture. And when that is my posture, what does your grief make me feel? It makes me feel uncomfortable. Right? I'm around, you're around somebody and, and, and they feel sad and you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm uncomfortable. What do I do? It is a problem to be fixed. Especially if I'm a male, I'm a fixer. This is what I do. I'm here to fix the problem. So, I'm going to Let's go. Let's go to the movies. Let's go to let's go to the place where we can do what? Where we can avoid. Let's go to the house of mirth. You see, I'm, what I'm doing here, it makes me comfortable because now you're smiling and I like that much better than you frowning. It's really directed towards myself. And I'm not saying it's selfish, but, but I feel uncomfortable with your grief. And, again, it's not selfish. I want you to be happy. I want you to be the way it was. So I say, let's go. The other thing, you just have to. I'm, I'm ready with lots of advice. Well, you just have to keep going on. Fill in the blank with whatever you just have to do. just have to forget it. You just have to. And we offer all the advice of the different things that a person has to do to be the way it was. Got to stop thinking about it. You just have to pick up and keep going. You just got to block it out. (coughs) You just got to. And so my advice is constantly reinforcing their blocking tendency that they already have and they really don't need me to help them with. And so here are the unintended results of my very good intentions. I do two things. I delegitimize their grief. It doesn't sound like that because I'm trying to get them through their grief. It sounds very noble and wonderful. But what I'm saying is, and remember, grief is the emotion, not the process. But by trying to short-circuit the process, I'm saying your grief really isn't valid. 
It doesn't deserve to be thought of by you. This, this trauma that you've experienced, you don't, it's not worth thinking about. And it's, it sounds noble, but I'm really harming you. And the other thing I do is I lengthen your pain. Because what? What I've said, your body and your mind are designed to do this. They are trying desperately to work through this process. And I'm going, stop. Let's go to the movies. Okay, because I don't want to think about it either. So we go to the movies. And we have a wonderful hour and a half where we're not going to think about this. And an hour and a half later, we come out of the movies. We might talk about the movie. And then we're done. We got about five minutes out of that conversation. And then what? Comes back. So I can delay and delay and delay and delay. And I'm just lengthening and lengthening and lengthening and lengthening pain. Because grief is going to have to be processed. This period of mourning is going to have to happen sometime. And the more I delay it, It just takes longer and longer. And that's when I showed that I really don't know what grief and mourning are for. Now, any negative aspect needs to be treated as serious. Now, again, your kids grief. Sometimes we delegitimize by a process of dismissing. Like we, we grade the pain. I have kids, and well, that's not really that important. But then that's a big deal, you know. And, and so you need to legitimize even their grief, even if it's, you know, a relatively small thing to you. But there are levels of grief, certainly, and 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 those kind of are graded by the consequences that they come with in the in the process entails different things. Uh, mourning entails different things. I'm going to talk about something more severe. When, when traumas and tragedies have been things that I see or personally have physically experienced, they very frequently involve what we call a flashback. And that's negative, right? We view that as a negative event. It's a part of the natural process of mourning. And a person has to go through it. This is difficult. I'm either speaking to you or I'm speaking for you. Because we are, we are in a world where we're constantly around people who have suffered things at different levels. And it's important for us to know from one perspective or another, either either whether you're working through something or, or whether your neighbor's working through something. It's, it's important for you to know this process. Because we can't receive God's comfort until we are willing to do God's grieving, God's mourning. And so what do people do in a flashback? It's... It, it's I've never had one. I've never had that level of grief. It's described to me like a panic attack. 
horrifying. And I know people who have gone decades of substance abuse for one reason, to avoid the flashback. One of them told me that their counselor said, you have to let it come. You have to let the flashback come. That's the negative. It is, sort of. It feels like a negative, but, but it has to come. And we're so busy trying to avoid and encouraging people to avoid. So now what? What happens after that? Well, now they have to deal with the <coughs> grief that comes from whatever the event was, but now they have the additional problem of the, the substance abuse and the, the addictions. They were just piling on, and we're lengthening pain. Not that we're encouraging substance abuse here, but that's, that's kind of the process. If, if we're addicting them to things that we feel comfortable with, other avoidance things, we're really doing the same thing. And so they're going to come down from the substance, whatever it was, the high, the drunk, and the next day, the brain is going to say, okay, you ready? Today's the day. We're going to start working today. Back to the alcohol. Okay, well, I guess we'll do it tomorrow. Push, 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 push. If I encourage avoidance in any way, I'm responsible for that extra pain. This is a heavier topic, I know. No, no, no real jokes here. It's difficult. That's why Solomon wrote this. There's a time. There's a time for everything under the sun. There's a time for some of the happy, fun stuff. But sometimes there's a time for mourning. This is the hard one. Now, it doesn't matter. Sometimes people's warning is really difficult because it's something they've done, and, it, and it, now it involves guilt. It's, it's not something done to me. That's even sometimes harsher. So now we've got an additional burden on top of that. We're a jumbled up mess. And, and Jesus begins, remember we talked about these these broken-hearted people that he's speaking to, these, these, these the Anawim, as they call them, on, on the side of this mountain. And he's, he's opening up, and this is his first sermon. He's not saying, oh, you're so happy that, that you have all this grief. That's not what he's saying. He's a, Listen, you're fortunate. You have a way now to work through the awful things that have happened to you. You're fortunate. There's a, a kingdom that he was setting up. And he's like, you've been chosen to be a part of this kingdom because now when you're in this kingdom, now when we're a part of the church, when you grieve 
and you're willing to go through the process, there's going to be people there that have your best interest in mind. That's why you're blessed. You're not blessed because you're feeling sad today or because something awful happened to you, you know, ten years ago. That's not why you're happy. But you're going to be happy, or you're going to be happier. If we work the process, the flashbacks will stop. You will eventually do what mourning is for the purpose of, which is to put that in perspective, to put it in a place where it can be accessed without great trauma, maybe to even use those experiences to help somebody else. And you will not be the same person that you were the day before it happened. You will be the person you're going to be from then on. A stable person that you're going to be from then on. Or maybe it's your neighbor. And you will be able to help them become the person that they're going to be from then on. But it requires two things, and this is what challenge that we're going to close with today. These are called the B attitudes. Right? So I want us to challenge to be two things. And it depends on who I'm talking to. I'm either talking to a person going through something or a person who is next to somebody going through something. Not physically, but maybe at your work or maybe your neighbor. Whoever. You're around people. We're around people that are a mess like us. B. Vulnerable. Why did he have to say to them, blessed are those who mourn? He didn't say blessed are those who feel bad. That's grief. Blessed are those who are willing to go to the house of mourning who are willing to open themselves up to the things that they need to work through. Those people will be blessed. That is spoken to the mourner. Don't go to the house of mirth. There's no help there. There's nothing positive there. It sounds positive. There's nothing to be gained there. Find a person that you can trust to be confidential and work through what you have to work through. Sometimes that person might not be here in this room. Sometimes we don't feel comfortable sharing all these things. Pick a person in the church somewhere else where you kind of, uh, that person's going to know everything I when I walk in Sunday morning. Okay. Pick a person somewhere else. But we've got to go to the house of mourning. Be vulnerable. That's the first thing. Second thing, for those who are on the other side of the, the table, be present. When I say be present. Because we tend to look everywhere else. 
as a person observing this process, I tend to either want to go to the past to help them make it like it was. And we'll talk about what was, and let's try to get them to what was. Or, or I try to bypass the process and get to the future. Okay, let's just let's just move forward. Uh, let's just pretend this never happened, and we'll, we'll be forward. You, you can't get there except one road, and that is through the present. I've got to be. To, to get someone through the present, I have to be present. I have to be willing to make myself available for that person. Now, here's a person that's available, whether they're vulnerable. Here's a person that's willing to open up. Okay, I am willing to be present. To listen. To not offer the advice. To not, to not fix. To not do all those things things that I want to do because this makes me feel uncomfortable. Just be present. That's hard. Because really in the long run, I'm vulnerable too. This is why Christ says, blessed are you when you mourn. Because you'll be comforted. You'll get through the process. If we remember Solomon's sage advice to go to the house of mourning, not the house of mirth.